Welcome everyone to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled, fun, meaningful and all-round awesome life. I'm Duncan CJ and in this episode we have an amazing expert, Steve Taylor. I saw him on stage a few months ago doing a TED talk and I immediately knew that he was someone that we just had to invite on. And so in this conversation he discusses the three main ways that we as a society try and find happiness, the reasons why we're looking for it in completely the wrong place and then he gives some practical tips and advice on ways to find true happiness. Coming up right now on Spirit Pig, enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. Um, I'm really excited today. I've got a, um, an awesome, awesome guest. We've got Dr. Stephen Taylor. And uh, Stephen is a senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Metropolitan University. He's a multiple best-selling author. His uh, books have been published in 16 languages, essays in academic journals, magazines, newspapers, and is regularly called up by the media and has appeared on BBC Radio, TV, The Guardian, Independent. Uh, and I think his, his work has been described by Eckhart Tolle as an important contribution to the shift in consciousness which is happening on our planet at present. And last but not least, he is voted the 31st most spiritually influential living person in uh, Mind, Body, Spirit magazine. And he's appeared in their top 100, uh, I think, for the last three years running, I think. So um, it's, a, it's a huge honour to have him here. So thanks so much, Steve, for being here. No problem. Thanks, Duncan. Um, now, when I was doing the um, sort of like research for this and like finding out a bit about you and like all your work, um, I, I, I've been absolutely torn about what sort of direction and questions I want, I, I want, I want to go over this because I've been looking and reading some of your articles and uh, every single one, I mean, I, was, I went on your Twitter and your Facebook and seeing some of your recent things you've been posting and every single one has, I mean, I've been desperate to talk, so this is going to be quite hard, but I've, 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 I've got focused on one, but... I'm going to put in the show notes um, just for everyone else to, to check out. There's three great articles which um, you've written uh, recently. One about just the madness of Black Friday um, and just materialism, and that is that was a really, um, really interesting, uh, really interesting article. And then another one all about um, about what we can learn from Indian Americans and uh, and their relationship with nature and how. Some we've actually in the Western world got it, you know, some a little bit backwards, um, and um, in our in our relationship to nature, and you um, you brought up some really really fascinating points, and um, and also some great ones about kindness. So I was like, which one? I mean, did we do a really vague interview where I try and touch on everything, or let's have a bit of focus? But if it's okay with you, um, I was actually looking through the archives, and um, this is one from a few years ago, but um, you did an essay all about happiness, and I don't know if like. Since you wrote that, there's been, you know, new, new you've, your thoughts have changed at all or whether it's still, you know, similar to that. But mm-hmm. there, was, there was a quote which you mentioned on that. And it really, I thought that was actually one of the impetus, thinking actually that would be a great topic to actually maybe hear your thoughts on a little bit more. And um, I'm just going to read it out. It was, happiness or contentment is human beings' most natural state. The problem, simplistic though it may sound, is that we've lost our bearings and have largely forgotten where true happiness is. It only seems so difficult to find because we're looking for it in the wrong place. And that really um, made me think because you go on to discuss, um, and I love you maybe just to, um, for the viewers, just to maybe uh, reiterate a couple of things, but in the modern world, a lot of us think of happiness as something that comes from the outside, um, and something exterior that we can get. And you talk about the, something called a happiness paradigm uh, where 
there's lots of different ways that we try and find happiness, but there's sort of three main ways. Um, and is it possible just to maybe just um, illuminate everyone just maybe a bit on sort of materialistic happiness, hedonistic, and then ego-based happiness? Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, I think in our society, our particular happiness paradigm is mainly that happiness lies with wealth, accumulating possessions and accumulating more and more money, having the best of everything, you know, buying them the most fashionable things and, uh, you know, the best kind of uh, material goods. Mm-hmm. So that's one way. And, and obviously that's, um, that ideal of happiness is promoted by our societies too. You know, it's part of the capitalist, capitalist ethos that happiness means money. But also, we're, we're taught that happiness means success as well. It means achieving things in your life. It means rising to high levels in your career, uh, accumulating more and more status. And that's ego-based happiness. Ego-based happiness means achievement, status, success, fame, power. And, and I guess in our societies, it, you can see that in a very crude way with you know celebrity TV shows and everybody wants to get on the cover of Hello magazine to to get on reality TV shows just to have their 15 minutes of fame and people believe that you know, happiness lies in attention being a significant person whether it's through fame success or power and, and finally um, hedonistic happiness is simply feeling good you know so having nice things you know eating lots of chocolate uh, sitting in a warm room watching nice TV programs um, you know, in an extreme way, it could be taking drugs. Um, you know, any kind of physical, biological pleasure. Okay. In our society, that that is the basic happiness paradigm. Are these happiness? I mean, when we say that um, sort of true happiness, and you know, these are sort of false happinesses. But are these are these happinesses? Are they are they not valid at all, or is it just not? It's not true happiness. What's the what's the differentiation? Well, I don't think they're invalid. Uh, they're valid to a degree. I mean, the thing about materialistic happiness, we do have basic material needs which we have to satisfy in order to survive. Mm. You know, in psychology, there is the famous hierarchy, hierarchy of needs from Abraham Maslow that shows that you know, the, the fundamental basic need for all human beings is physiological, uh, physio- physiological needs like uh, for food, for drink, for safety, for security. And we have to satisfy those basic needs. Uh, but beyond that, you know, once you satisfy those basic needs, uh, materialism doesn't really satisfy you. you know, no matter how much you get, it doesn't really satisfy you. Even billionaires, there's a lot of research showing that people like billionaires are, no, are not significantly happier than other people. Mm-hmm. And they actually suffer from more psychopathological symptoms than other people. They suffer from more depression, more anxiety, more psychological disorders. So beyond once you've satisfied your basic needs, materialism doesn't bring any happiness. It's a, it's a kind of false idea of happiness which takes us away from real happiness. And again, you know, in terms of ego-based happiness, um, you know, maybe we need a certain amount of attention, a certain amount of approval from the people around us. We need to feel that we are loved. We need to feel that we belong. But beyond a certain point, again, it doesn't bring us any real satisfaction. It's a question of needs. Once you satisfy the basic needs, there's no real, you know, no real, well, there's no motivation really to follow these methods in terms of happiness. So that food, water, shelter, um 
yeah and so once you once you've got those basic needs then so what why why do you think that i mean is this purely is this um sort of media society that we've we've almost trained ourselves or 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 we're we're believing this lie that you know we do need these things or or is this actually like a uh, an innate uh, like thing that we all have this need to, for fervorment for for more material for more ego for more pleasure or is this is this something that's through society to try and keep us you know spending lots of money staying in I don't, I don't know I'm I'm, I'm just I'm just under, trying to understand it okay uh, well fundamentally I think it's because there is a, a psychological lack or spiritual lack mm-hmm. inside us. I think most most people, people in general, experience a, a degree of psychological discord within them. And I, in my last book, Back to Sanity, I called it Humania. It's you know, the fundamental madness of human beings. Mm-hmm. And the madness partly comes from a sense of separation. We, we have a kind of illusion that we are separate entities who live in our own mental space. So we are in here. The world seems to be out there. So there's a fundamental duality between us and the world. And that sense of separation, it creates a lot, a lot of problems. It creates a sense of isolation, a sense of aloneness within our own mental space. It creates a sense that the, the world is somehow threatening, you know, because it's, 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 it's giant. It's a, you know, the world's a gigantic place. Mm. It's outside us. It's out there. So we, we feel it's kind of threatening in a strange way. So I think there's a fundamental kind of existential discord which many people experience due to that separation. Yeah. But also, um, there's a kind of restlessness inside us due to our minds as well. Our minds chatter away when their attention isn't occupied. You know, you're lying in bed at night and thoughts are rushing through your mind. You're waiting at the, the bus stop or at the tube stop and thoughts start to rush through your mind. And that this fundamental fundamental restlessness... This thought chatter also creates a, a kind of discord inside us. So one of our most basic needs is to try to escape from this discord or try to cover it up in some sense, to alleviate it in some way. With things, be it alcohol, be it shopping, be it sex, be it we're, we're looking for things to effectively, we've, we've, we're not complete, we've got a hole, and so we're looking to fill these with exterior things. And I think you you, were, you went on to say that one main problem, and then those, those were the three main ones, and then you you went in and I'll, I'll link up the article um, because there was other like um, ones which were important. Like there was the future based happiness, need satisfaction, event based happiness, but you, you said one problem of all these as is that they are they're fleeting, they're temporary, um, they're like you know they they come and they go and they wear off and you've got yeah. something called the law of diminishing returns and um you, you went on to describe something called dangerous pleasures when you know and could you maybe just uh, expl- explain that a little bit yeah well all of these forms of happiness work to a degree you know hedonism gives you a thrill while it lasts yeah if you if you're given if you achieve success you you, you know you gain a, a limited temporary happiness through feeling how great you are and a sense of satisfaction, which, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it is temporary. It fades away quite quickly. You know, hedonism, the thrill of hedonistic happiness fades away as soon as the, you know, the substance or the activity stops. 
Uh, ego-based happiness lasts for a while, but you know, for a few days, maybe a few weeks at the most, it fades away and you're back to feeling your normal self. And the, the law of diminishing returns is, means that you know, however frequently we experience these kinds of happiness, they, they gradually wear off. You know, we gradually become used to them. I mean, adaptation is one of the fundamental um, aspects of human experience. The more we experience the same phenomena, the weaker it becomes, you know, the less affected we are by it. We become gradually sensitized to all our experience. So all of these forms of happiness are, you know, they're not necessarily negative, but they're all temporary and they all fade away. And ultimately, if you keep repeating these forms of happiness, you have to have, it's a bit like being a drug addict, you know. If you're a heroin addict, for example, uh, as the months go by, your body adapts to the substance. So you have to inject yourself with more and more heroin to get the same effect. Mm. So it becomes more and more dangerous, you know, the longer you do it. And that's why people have overdoses, because they stop for a while and then they inject themselves with the same substance, but they become, you know, you know they become desensitized to it. But so in the same way that, you know, if you're a famous person who is addicted to approval and attention, you have to keep increasing the amount of fame you have to get the same effect. And, you know, the same way if you're a, for example, um, um, a materialistic person, in order to have the same effect, you have to keep getting richer and richer, and more and more possessions to get the same effect. And eventually you have to push that to dangerous extremes, you know, and for in, in terms of hedonism, that can lead to overdoses, excess, degeneracy, debauchery, and so forth. I think you mentioned, uh, there's, there's a really interesting point where I think you said something like, um, um, if it was, if you were an ego-based person and you got your thrill, or not, you got, you got your sense of worth through maybe how much money you got, it's, because it, 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 it's very dependent on the circumstances. So say, for example, you're looking at some friends or you're looking at other people who have less money, then, okay, I've got more money. So you'll get, you get your, your ego boost. But then this is just as fleeting because if you look up and look at somebody who's got more money than you, then that, then yeah. you lose your sense of your worth. Is that, is that, is that right? Yeah. Well, that's, um, in that sense, happiness is always relative, you know, mm. particularly in terms of status and fame or celebrity, even power your sense of satisfaction with your own degree of status always depends on other people. So if you compare yourself to people who are, who have more status, you feel a sense of dissatisfaction. You know, obviously you, maybe if you compare yourself to people who have less status, that gives you a sense of satisfaction, mm. but it just shows you how relative and how kind of unsatisfying these forms of happiness are, you know, they're, they're very fragile and very vulnerable. So, so if I'm, I, I'm, if I'm listening to this, um, and up until this point, I've, I've sort of got my sense of worth through, um, I've got, you know, I've got, I've got a good, I've got a good job. Um, I've, you know, a, a nice house, you know, I've, 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 you know, I've gone on good holidays and, but I, I can, I can resonate with this. Like what's, what, 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 what in contrast, so that's sort of set the scene. This is what a lot of us think is happiness with these exterior things. Um, you talk about something called flow. Um, and what, what, what on, in the contrast is more true happiness? Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially when they reach middle age, they they get to a point in their lives when they think, you know, I've got these things now. I'm I'm successful. I've got the material goods I wanted. You know, I'm in a fairly stable situation. 
but why am I not happy? Why haven't these things satisfied me? Mm. I think people at that stage, they begin to feel a, a sense of existential, real sense of existential dissatisfaction, which can manifest itself in drinking, you know, um, in, in order to escape from this dissatisfaction. By, by existential dissatisfaction. So um, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that you, they feel that they feel like there's something more that they're missing? Or? Yeah, they feel like there's something missing. They feel a real sense of restlessness and discontent inside themselves. And they don't really know where it's coming from because they feel as though they should be satisfied. But they, they feel deep down in their being that there is something missing, something lacking. Mm. They feel that they have been deceived by, you know, by these ideals of happiness. And I, like I say, that can manifest itself in you know, drinking a lot in order to escape that dissatisfaction. Or it can lead people to think, you know, if happiness doesn't lie in these things, then where is happiness? And they begin to search, they begin to explore happiness, uh, different sources of happiness. Mm. And maybe these people begin to sense that there is a kind of inner happiness which doesn't depend on external circumstances, which doesn't depend on material goods or status or achievement. And, you know, you mentioned flow. Flow is a dimension of that inner happiness. Flow is a state of consciousness or a state of being we experience when our attention is very engaged in certain activities. It's usually related to things like, um, uh, it could be related to nature, for example. Gardening, gardening is quite a, a big flow activity. Any activity really which focuses our attention, which challenges us to some degree, People get it from creative activities like dancing, uh, like writing, painting, and so forth. Mm. So particularly creative activities. Maybe when people turn away from materialism, they turn away from status-seeking, they begin to focus on creativity. They begin to unfold their own creative potentials, and they begin to find a touch or a glimpse of inner happiness in that sense. Amazing. So... What, what 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 kind of what kind of advice would you would, would you give somebody to um, to find more inner happiness flow? I mean, we're we, we talking meditation. Is this religion? Is this um, finding something which you are truly passionate about? Like going back to the drawing board and actually thinking what you know what really gets me sort of excited, or is it a combination of these things? Or I'm, I'm just in, in your experience, what 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 do you think do you, works or is a good sort of maybe starting point for somebody who's listening to this and thinking. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I want, I want to find more sort of inner happiness. Well, um, it's a bit, yeah, of, a, it's a bit, of, a bit of an open question. So <laughs> how, how to be happy, go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, this is my, manif my manifesto of happiness. <laughs> well, Put your words carefully. <laughs> uh, I think it's a combination, as you said. I think we need to engage in certain activities which we know instinctively and also research, which research shows actually do bring us um, a more permanent and stable well-being. Uh, so, yeah, on one level, it's activities. So, for example, it's very well established that contact with nature brings human beings a, a great deal of inner happiness. Mm. So it's very helpful to spend time, you know, at least half an hour, an hour a day, walking in the park or in the countryside. Uh, some exposure to nature, I think it has a very sort of settling relaxing effect on our minds on our beings and it brings us a sense of it calms down the restlessness of our minds and gives us a glimpse of inner harmony and also creative activities which bring flow you know so people need to find or it's ideal for us to find 
one particular activity which we can engage in, which can unlock our creative potentials, whether it's uh, making practical stuff like making things, um, whether it's gardening, dancing, music, things like that. So it's important to find activities like that. And what's, but, the, what's the difference to, I mean, obviously there is a difference, but um, ha, say, for example, you, you get your sense of happiness or worth from shopping, which is an exterior thing because it's trying to fill. But if you're then doing it with gardening, is it not like a slightly softer, nicer version, but kind of the same thing? Or because if suddenly gardening was taken away from you, then is your happiness gone? Or is it something, is it not necessarily the gardening itself? It's the actual act of expression so you're turning it to gardening but you could be turning it to something else is yeah well it's partly or to a large extent it's the effect which gardening has on your mind or on your being you know an activity like gardening has a kind of mind quietening effect Mm. it empties your mind of worries and anxieties it slows you down it makes you able to live in the moment so it gives you a sense of presence you know, so as a you know, a very calming, connecting effect on your being, it gives you a sense of connection to nature as well. You know, as human beings, we spent the last few hundred thousand years deeply connected to nature. Mm-hmm. It's only really in the last few decades that we've become disconnected from the natural world. So any time that we spend engaging directly with nature has a very calming and connecting effect on us. So that state of mind, which is induced by gardening, can last for a few hours afterwards, even once the activity is finished. And you can, you know, you can pick it, pick the activity up again, and tune into that state of being again. Mm-hmm. But in shopping, I mean, shopping is quite a, um, quite a frenetic, busy activity. You're surrounded by crowds, by lights, by activity. So it gives you a bit of a thrill, and it gives you a kind of instinctive thrill of buying something, of owning something. But it's, and in terms of the effect it has on your mind, it quite, has quite an agitative effect on your mind. And if anything, it makes you feel a bit disconnected, a bit agitated. So you come away, even though you have a thrill of buying something or owning something, you, you come away feeling quite agitated. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the difference. But in terms of, uh, you mentioned meditation. I mean, I think things like that are very important too. Do you meditate? I do, yeah. In fact, I, I meditated briefly this morning. <laughs> um, but yeah, meditation is very effective, a very effective way of inducing well-being, partly because it empties our minds of those restless, um, worrying thoughts. And, you know, you feel a sense of relaxation, a sense of connecting to your own being. And it's as if, you know, when our minds chatter away with random thoughts, daydreams about what's going to happen in the future or memories of what happened yesterday or the day before. It's as if we're kind of trapped on the surface of our consciousness. These thoughts kind of um, really, they crowd our minds, they make us feel a bit claustrophobic and they trap us on the surface. So when you meditate and when you gradually slow your thoughts down and and gradually empty your being, it's as if you sort of go beyond the surface of your being and relax into deeper levels of your own consciousness. There's a sense of expansion. Your your mind seems to somehow um, be a bigger space because it's less crowded with thought activity. But I think maybe the the most, I mean, I think that maybe the the biggest source of well-being is actually inside us, uh, within our own being. I think there is there is a quality of our own being which is well-being. You know, I think well-being is the nature of 
consciousness itself. So when you empty your mind through meditation or through any activity, whether it's gardening or walking in the countryside or being in a, you know, engaged in a flow activity like um, dancing or playing music or listening to music, when your mind becomes more empty and more quiet, then you tune into this natural well-being which is inside us. And it, it's surprising, you know, some people don't even know it's there, even though they, they probably all, we probably all touch into it sometimes. You know, when times of quietness, um, maybe uh, at times when we're in the countryside or in contact with nature. Yeah. So accidental meditation almost when you're not you're not sitting down thinking, OK, I'm going to meditate. You might have just been just sitting on a beach, looking at listening to the waves and then suddenly you, that sort of lost in thought, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because I think many people, even though they don't realize it, they're actually seeking this, this inner well-being, this mm. sense of inner well-being, which I've talked about. And some people get it through playing sports, maybe through swimming, through running, uh, mountain climbing, through uh, a variety of different activities. Some people get it through music, through playing music, uh, through creativity. So even though they're not aware of it, some, I think some people actually seek this sense of inner well-being. It's a bit like a, it's like a glow of well-being that fills you in these, in these moments. In, yeah, in moments of relaxation, when we're lying on the beach in, on holiday, in mo- any moment of quietness in our lives, we may experience this glow of inner well-being, which is always there, but you know, we tend to forget it or be unaware of it because we're so focused on gaining happiness outside. Yes, you don't actually realise. It sounds cheesy, but you don't actually realise it's necessarily... You, you're already, you're already perfect, you're already happy, and, but we're constantly you know, kidding ourselves that we've got to run around quickly trying to find happiness there, happiness there, and it's all fleeting, when actually just taking it back to the body, through your breath, through actually all mindfulness. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, well, that's why I think that um, quietness is really important. Like, just to have periods of inactivity and quietness in your normal week. Mm. I sometimes um, advise people to... You know, I, I'm, I'm not Jewish, but I like the Jewish idea of the Sabbath, you know, having one day each week when you, you, know, you empty the day of activity, you're not allowed to do anything, you have to be, you have to allow yourself to reconnect and to, to spend the day in quietness and inactivity. So, but, I, but I think it's, it would be really useful if people could have maybe schedule three or four periods of inactivity and quietness throughout the week. You know, if they could just write in their schedules or their diaries. Inactivity. You know, two or three hours of nothing. Not even watching TV, not even writing emails, just quietness, inactivity. Maybe listening to a bit of music, going for a walk, doing nothing. And those periods of inactivity would allow us to reconnect with a, a sense of well-being inside us and once we reconnect with it it can actually flow through into our activities as well you know it can actually um spread a sense of ease and gracefulness even into our activities as well so yeah it's interesting you say that because the um that's one of the things that um that i, I love about meditation is whether you know i think thinking, oh, sh- am I actually doing it right or am I doing it wrong? You know, it's kind of almost missing the point. Um, just having just every morning or every evening, like the day might be chaos. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, you, you might be late, it might be traffic, you know, stuff at work, but you can almost bookend. You, you, you've got the choice how you can start and how you end your day. And so if you start 
every day or end you know the day just with just five minutes ten minutes you know don't you know think i've got to i have to sit down and do half an hour an hour just start small just start with five minutes if that's all you need then you can build it up but just having that five minutes ten minutes just just to sit in silence you know whether you're being a good meditator bad meditator like i don't know what, what even is that you know just to just to have that quiet time and you feel like the whole actual day completely flows in, in, in a whole different note if you actually start it in that, in that way. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it allows you to reconnect with a deeper aspect of yourself. And, and once you've reconnected with that part of yourself, you feel more stable somehow. You feel like you have a strong foundation. And as a result, you, know, you, you don't seem to be as affected by stress. You seem to be able to manage activities better. You, you know, you you really feel as if you're rooted deeply inside yourself, and that deep rootedness really allows you to cope better with everyday life. Fantastic. Um, and now I, I I'm cautious of time because I know that you are. Uh, this is this is a morning talk, and we've both all got to run off to work. But um, maybe just one last question. Um, what what would you if you had to give? And I'm putting you on the spot, so you don't have to answer this. But if, if you had like just one bit of advice or one thing that the listeners could maybe do today that you feel they could have a you know a really positive effect on their lives, you know, in terms of just happiness, well-being, just finding you know a more fulfilling time, what what, can, what would that be? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll say two things. Okay, um, cheated. <laughs> oh yeah, it's difficult too. <laughs> um, okay, first thing is. Um, awareness, like whatever people are doing, whether you're walking down the street, um, we're kind of, it's habitual for us to give our attention to other things besides our actual experience. And we think about what's going to happen later today. We remember what happened last night, or maybe we listen to music on our headphones or maybe we text on our phones. But if you're walking down the street, give your attention to where you are now look around you at the buildings, look at the people around you. But most importantly, be aware of your own body. Be aware of your feet as they meet the pavement as you're walking. Be aware of the sensation of the air against your face. Be aware of the sky above you, the trees around you. So bring your attention into the present moment. And you can do that when you eat. You know, If you eat, bring your attention to the taste of the food, to the flavor of the food, to the sensation of yourself eating the food. You can do it when you have a, have a shower or brush your teeth. Just give your attention to your experience. And you'll find that that has a, a transformational effect. You know, it makes you feel uh, really intensely alive and it gives you a, a sense of well-being. So that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is, I'd say, altruism and, and kindness. Perform an act of kindness. Because uh, when, when you perform an act of kindness, it has a... Uh, a connecting effect. It connects you to the person you're acting kindly towards. But also, if other people witness the acts of kindness, it gives them a sense of connection too. When we witness acts of kindness, it gives us a sense of warmth and a sense of elation, and a sense of renewed faith in human nature. So there's like a sort of three-way connecting effect in any act of kindness or altruism. So, yeah, I think both of those things will have a, a transformational effect. And the fact that because you, if you do an act of kindness, it's the sort of the person actually yeah, giving the act, receiving it. And because you said there's now this, this, thir- this third person, mm-hmm. you know, enough people giving kindness actually create you know, a ripple effect. Yeah. 
Yeah, and once you witness an act of kindness, encourage it encourages you to be kind as well. So it has a, a you know really powerful ripple effect all around the city, all around the world. Eventually, start a movement. <laughs> yeah, good idea. And that's um, based on that last point. Um, I will um, I'll certainly I'll link up um, an article which is about that point, which I think you wrote in the um, in Psychology Today and also in the Daily Mirror. Was it? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I wrote a. I think it, it was National International Kindness Day in November, just a few weeks ago, and the Daily Mirror asked me to write an article about the effect of witnessing acts of kindness. Fantastic. I'll link that up. And uh, Steve, thank you so much for, um, for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Um, just finally, how can, how can people find out more about you and your work? Where's the best place for us to send them? Um, yeah, my website is www.stephenmtaylor.com. That's the best place to go. And then you can link up to my Facebook page and my blog on Psychology Today. And there are lots of my essays on the website too. Yeah, they're fa- fascinating. Some really, uh, I spend hours and hours going through, going through the archives. So um, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. It's, um, it's been fascinating talking to you and um, hopefully, uh, hopefully talk soon. Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot, Duncan. I enjoyed it. That was great.